So hello and welcome to another episode of Drill to Detail, the podcast series about the world of analytics, big data and cloud data management and I'm your host Mark Whitman. So my guest in this episode is someone I met for the first time when I attended an Oracle Partner event but for various reasons wanted to keep a low profile so uncharacteristically for me I was sat at the back and wasn't asking or indeed answering any of the questions as I normally do. However, there was someone else at the front of the room, also with an English accent, who was trolling the Oracle folks almost as well as I do. And I thought, I have to have this man on the podcast at some point. Um, and I chatted to him in the, uh, in the event in the evening. And you've got a long, long, I suppose, background in consulting and delivery, and particularly with working now with some of the new Oracle Cloud products. So uh, I thought it'd be great to have you on the show. So Matt York from Cubix, welcome to the show. And it's great to have you here and joining us. Hey, hello, Mark. Thank you very much for for asking me to to join you on this podcast. Um, um, look, looking forward to to chatting with you. Actually, um, one thing I, I probably need to call you out on. Actually, you said almost as good. Um, I actually think if, if you if you'd been sitting at the front as as well, I'm 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 not sure the poor Oracle guys would have got a word in right if if both of us had been uh, had been uh, on it. So yeah, uh, yeah pro- probably just as well you were keeping a um, yes. a low profile. But it was good to hear somebody else asking the questions. Really, so it was interesting hearing your your take on things and and the fact that there was someone out there who was who was so I suppose so heavily involved in some of the new products that they've got yeah I mean it's to be honest I was I'm always surprised at these events when people um you know tend to 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 sort of sit sit quietly and expect everything to be to be served up um you know I've always figured it's important to to go to you know basically any event any presentation whichever side of the um you know whichever side of the desk you're sitting on whether you're presenting or whether you're you know um, sort of receiving the presentations go with an go with an agenda you know go with the agenda to learn something to you know to drill into the detail ironically mm-hmm. on on the podcast here um mm-hmm. you know to share something to to teach somebody something to inspire somebody you know but but you know you, you don't ever just want to be a, a sort of flag flapping in the wind there you always want to to you know drive drive something forward whatever your agenda is so um yeah i i'm getting a bit of a reputation for, for being <laughs> um, relatively vocal at these events and and, and hence you know, becoming invited a little bit more to, to actually do the presentations rather than, than ask. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. So, so Matt, yeah. tell us who you are again. So tell us what your background is and how you got into the consulting world and, and the route you had into the place you work now, which is Cubix. Yeah. Okay. Um, certainly. So I, um, well, my name is Matt York, as you, as you said, I'm one of the group directors of Cubix International. Um, we are um, Oracle Platinum Partner, um, specialising in you know what, what I'll in simple terms describe as both the EPM and the sort of business analytics space. Um, that that does straddle two um, you know sort of or, or at least two arms of Oracle, both the sort of apps and tech side. You know, which uh, from from an Oracle sales sales perspective is is quite different. Um, but uh, you know, but equally that puts us in in quite a, a, a unique position because it means uh, you know if uh, you know if if there's a, a sniff of, of uh, you know of, of an apps sale usually the customer wants some tech i.e if the customer's got epm or is going to buy epm they need some business analytics you know to go on it as well and vice versa so it that's kind of a position we've we've sort of leveraged a bit in terms of how i got into cubix um well i i, I did a marine engineering degree um in ooh, i've lost count now uh mid 90s um and uh, marine engineering degree down at Plymouth. And one of the things I kind of realized is is um, I was quite good at the computer stuff. You know, I was good at all of the engineering stuff, but I was quite good at the computer stuff as well. So, um, but but actually what I really wanted to be was a, a dealer 
in the city. I really wanted to be a trader for one of the investment banks in the city. So um, I, I kind of you know, got got off my bum a little bit and I wrote um, I wrote a letter to every single investment bank in the city. Um, you know, and this is very early days, word two, you know, mail merge. Um, you know, that was quite a lot of effort. Um, and, and whilst I was um, kind of, you know, trolling the banks, uh, there's, you know, there's a pattern to my behavior here. Um, I, I, um, I firstly took a job as, as, a, as a sort of bulldozer spare part salesman and, and started writing actually a, um, a sales database for them. You know, very early generation, Windows 95, um, you know, very expensive, very low powered laptop. And I taught myself Microsoft Access. Um, you know, to, to write a database that, that the got that the sales guys could go around the world with, you know, to look up stock, look up customer orders, um, you know, and, and, and basically use it to help them uh, leverage the sales. And I realized I had a bit of flair, a bit of aptitude for this. Um, eventually, after getting enough rejection letters from from uh, from the banks saying I had the wrong wrong degree to be a, to be a trader, I kind of thought, OK, I can I can do the, the you know, the, uh, you know, building systems and solutions for customers. So I switched my focus and joined the predecessor of, of Cubic's company called Julian Owens Associates. So that was 1st of April 1997. Um, and then from there, fairly quickly, um, actually then ended up working with um, building a, an S-Base system. Or what version was it? S-Base 4 with a, a big VB5 and then latterly 6 um, front end for ING bearings. Obviously, uh, you know, that was the... Uh, you know the the organisation that rose out of the the ashes of, of Bearings Bank and and, and Nick Leeson, um, and more or less haven't really looked back from then. So that was uh, when was that? That was sort of 1998 with with those guys there. Uh, in those early days, mostly focused on the you know the S base end, um, and then of course starting to starting to look at where I saw the weak points were in projects. And one of the things I fairly quickly realised the weak point in in projects wasn't actually the S base end. I realised it was the the relational database end, where people were spinning up business objects as you know as it was then, or you know even microstrategy or um, you know th those types of sort of early relational but you know uh, you know um, bi uh, tools and i realized inevitably whether it was s space whether it was business objects the weak spot was always the database modeling the data to make efficient use so i kind of that was where my my focus then changed a little bit then to to add in the the relational side and of course then the logical next step beyond that was when oracle bought obie or sorry when oracle bought siebel um you know the logical next step was suddenly in that portfolio oracle had the best database they had the best OLAP product and now they had a really strong um you know bi tool as well and so that was kind of the you know the logical flow and sort of the logical um you know pr progression there so my role these days is i'm um you know my, my well my kind of official title is head of customer delivery so i'm the uh, sort of head of the uh, of the delivery team so i'm, I'm responsible for um, ensuring the success of, of, of all of the, the, the projects that, uh, that, that we win, um, you know, and I've got the, uh, you know, the, the rest of the, um, delivery team, um, you know, that, uh, sort of re report into me. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting, pretty challenging, but good fun as well. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, there's a few things really, um, when I, when I spoke to you at the, the Oracle event, there was a couple of things there that particularly 
interested me about kind of yourself really and what you've been doing so the first was that you like you say you, you've been working with these products for a while and um you know we all know oracle software oracle products can be rather complicated and they can be rather kind of um they can be kind of sometimes kind of difficult to integrate because of the complexity of them and so on and i think the the i suppose that the the obvious way to go with that is to think it's not very good and it's over complicated but they're for complicated customers with complicated needs and i thought what was interesting with you is that you kind of knew where the bodies are buried as such which is like i would do but you also kind of knew how to get it all working and, and i think you know when customers buy this kind of technology they buy something that's complex because they need it to do a complex job and what they want from a consultant and a company is somebody who can actually make it work not tell them made the wrong decision and so it was interesting that you kind of similarly come from that same sort same sort of background as me in that area um the other thing that was interesting we'll go into both of these really is is that you um you know the s-based side so you know my background with 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 oracle bi has been more on that kind of relational side it's interesting to see or hear from somebody's implementing um, Oracle BI, but from a kind of, or certainly in covering the S-Base side as well. And the third thing was that you've been doing consulting for a while, and we ended up spending a good part of the evening kind of drinking loads and setting the world to rights about how to do a consulting project. And I think all those three things are things we want to talk about really in this podcast, because it'd just be interesting to get your take on those. And we said at the time, we should just recorded the conversation we had at the bar. Uh, and and so you know in a way we're going to do that now but probably with less drink and, and probably more kind of uh you know it more kind of uh, interesting opinions and so on but let's start off then with, really with 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 kind of um oh wait well oracle analytics cloud and sbase so a lot of the people listening in this con- in this this recording won't know what they are so do you want to just very briefly very concisely tell the people what sbase is and what oracle yeah. analytics cloud is first of all yeah yeah of course and how, course. The, and how they're i mean funnily enough this is i mean that's exactly the when i do a, a sort of a uk oug or you know business analytics uh, presentation that is exactly what what my first slide is actually because um on the face of it you you kind of look you look at it and you think well well what, what is it what is it what can it do what can it do and that's actually one of the challenges is because what oracle have done and they've been you know frankly really quite smart here is what you know they've they've kind of written a a cookbook of what are the tools what are the components that um you know make a business analytics project um successful um you know and they've not they're not forcing customers to have all of it but they're saying this is you know this is in the toolbox and therefore you've got all of the tools you need to build a really really kind of powerful uh you know bi project but if you don't need bits you don't use those bits that is both incredibly powerful and this aligns with what what you just said both incredibly powerful um but you kind of got to know which which bits to to fit where so Space is, you know, Space is, is, um, you know, to be honest, when we, when, um, uh, I mean, when I was originally using Space, it was originally Arbor Software, then Hyperion, then Oracle bought it, and, and to be honest, a lot of people at the time thought, oh, oh what, what's going to happen? Um, but one of the things that that Oracle actually have done is they've continued to invest really, really well into Space, um, and that's really good because. BI in the dashboarding, uh, published report sense that is, is, you know, where there's a lot of sizzle, um, you know, you can build beautiful dashboards. Um, but often one of the things when you look at a BI project, what you always find is the guys are struggling to get um, performance. And also the cost of change can also be quite high. A new, new, new requirement comes through or let's say a spike in the data comes through. 
and people are instantly scrambling to say, well, what's going on? What's going on? And, and they don't want to wait those sort of, you know, um, let's say for argument's sake, weeks, often months, if it's a particularly complex, to, to get a different dashboard that, that tells them that that spike was, was nothing to worry about. And that's where the S-Base end really, really hooks in. Because S-Base's history is it's a very, very high performance, um, aggregated um, reporting tool. Um, but not just aggregated, it's also an ad hoc reporting tool. And that means that um, there's typically two camps of, of people in, in an organization. There are the, the detail guys, the analysts that really, re, you know, really want to jump in and get all of the detail and look for spikes in the data and look for new patterns and new trends. And once they've done their bit, um, you know, and, and, and that might be a finance department, it could be a marketing department, it could be, you know, it could kind of more or less could, could be any department, but they've got that role. Um, and once they've done that, they then know how they want to model and track and, and monitor the business on a day to day basis. And that's when your BI piece comes in. S-Base bridges that gap perfectly because one of the things you always want to do is make sure that you have a, a single golden source of data you want to make sure that reporting is really really fast um, but you also want to make sure that if somebody says so why has that happened you don't want to have to phone up the you know the bi team and get them to start writing um, you know new reports and you know we could certainly discuss also the project delivery methodologies because that's not ideally what you want them to, to you know what you want to have to do anyway but that's typically how things work with, with customers so s-base gives that very very high performance um you know aggregated view of an organization whether by period whether by product whether by client whatever you know whatever that whatever the sort of customer wants to to however they want to view their organization by entity um, but it's an and because that then layers on top of the um, classic sort of data mart reporting layer that you'd have on the BI end as well. And you actually end up with a bit of a pyramid where you can say all of our leaf level data, that typically would stay. So, you know, pure customer level data or I'm doing some work with an airline at the moment, you know, the booking level data, the real detail that can stay in relational. You can then load that data up into S-Base where you aggregate it. And it means that um, the cost of asking new questions of your data via, you know, via smart view um, is very low, but it's an and because the same people or sorry, the people sitting next to that smart view sort of financy analyst type person who wants a dashboard, they can consume the same data from the same source at the same time. And therefore, they're actually having the same discussion about what to do with the business about the performance of the business whereas classically they're quite separate and and that's actually one of the problems so um so 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 what you're describing there i mean you, what you described there could equally you know being being kind of devil's advocate could just describe a data warehouse and 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 you know if you if you talk about say with oracle yeah. these days you've got in-memory database um you know as someone who bought one in the past an exolytic server you know um that was a particularly astute purchase of mine at the mm -hmm. time which i kind of you know which was interesting um but you know why 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 s space why go to the trouble of using a completely yeah. different technology to what most people are used to um when you could use like a memory database and so on why is there is it does it does it meet certain use cases but not others or is it universally better how do you kind of deal with that kind well, of question I'm, I'm tempted to say it's 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 
I'd, I'd like to say it's universally better, but the, the truth is it is it is different. And, and, mm. and the fact that it's different means that it can answer a different type of question very effectively. And, and an obvious um, example there is um, if you look at any kind of, um, you know, relational reporting approach, whether we're talking in memory, whether we're talking, you know, uh, designing our, our, our data mart or, or, or whatever, you know, whether it's Inman, Kimball, you know, so on and so forth. Um, classically, um, an organization in terms of how it views itself does not like to adhere to um, structured um, levels in their dimensions and their hierarchies. Let's say the way the entity, let's say the way entity rolls up or the way product rolls up. Some bits of the organization might be quite small. You know, an ent- you know, a, a single entity itself might be quite small, um, but other entities, you know, such as I don't know, let's say an EMEA entity could be very large as lots of sub entities and other bits and bobs underneath that. That's classically somewhat harder. I know you can do it, of course, but it's somewhat harder to model effectively um, in the relational world because you end up with either having to take a top down or a bottom up approach. You end up with gaps and this and that. S-Base allows you to model the business as it sees itself. So it makes it fantastically accessible. It makes the data fantastically accessible to, you know, to, to the users. It's also, and I actually run our, uh, our S-Base training course as well. And one of the, one of the um, uh, sort of uh, learning points that I, I share with people is speed of thought as well. So you've got a very pure model of an organization in there. Now, that's not saying it's different to the way you'd model it in the, in the world of, of, of relational. It's not a different organization model, but it's a very pure model of how the organization wants to view itself. And they, the, the users can ask questions of that data um, instantly. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I, did a, I, did a, I did an explicit example the other day I'm going to say no cheating. Perhaps you'd call me out on that where I took, um, oh, I don't know, what was I looking at? Um, 150 million data points, I think I was looking at in a data mark. Now, I didn't push the relational data mark as far as I could. I purposefully asked a hard question. Um, you know, I, I, I asked a question, um, you know, that basically said, give me the total, uh, in this case, give me the total number of bookings across um, five years worth, you know, uh, of, of data. Um, how fast is it? From a relational data mark perspective, we were running uh, 22 seconds, forcing it to do a full table scan. The exact same report, um, and in this case, I was I was using actually data visualization cloud service to to do the report. The exact same report coming using an S-based data source was 0.1 of a second. Um, and I think that's one of the really, the, you know, the really compelling things is asking the exact same question. But, you know, if you're having to wait 22 seconds each time versus, you know, point, point one of a second, the whole user experience, you know, becomes a bit slicker and people become it helps the organization move themselves uh, to, a, to a sort of better state of maturity, because when things are fast, they can explore more, they can do more analytics, they can start to innovate. Um, rather than waiting for reports to run. Okay, so so one more one more question about S space, and we'll get into kind of the, the way you do projects in a second. So <clears throat> again, something that's something that's kind of happened 
I'm, I'm conscious that since airspace my days yeah, yeah. when it was either block storage or it was aggregate storage yeah, yeah. we then had um we then had hybrid storage and then we had hybrid yeah, storage yeah. running on the exotic server i had yes and now there's obviously airspace cloud service so for anybody that kind of knew airspace maybe sort of five years ago just give us a very kind of very potted history of where it is now really so what how is the how has the product itself evolved a bit over the last few years and what's what's the kind of state of the play like now really for for airspace as an engine and so on Okay, so well, the I mean, one of the um, there there are a few, quite a few patents um, sitting there with Sbase. Um, the I mean, the really big change to Sbase, which you will have seen, um, you know, which you you mentioned there, is when they added in the the ASO storage engine. The reason why that was so powerful and such a massive um, change is what that did is rather than the traditional way of where it kind of pre-calculated everything and in fact there was an art form to, to sort of tuning tuning the old the old bso cubes and it's well known it's well documented you know that all of the best practices are clear now it's not an art form anymore everybody knows you know knows exactly what to do and how to do it gave businesses an organization uh, sorry an opportunity to model um, a lot of complexity and to write calc scripts and do all sorts of things. Then along came ASO, and what that added was capacity and performance and scale. So in old SBase, in old SBase, because I I tried to do it one time, um, loading a hundred million data points into uh, you know into a BSO cube and giving giving good reporting performance was easy, but it might calculate for two days. You know that that was uh, you know, and they went okay. So we managed to really uh, push the boat out you know use a bunch of techniques we turned two days into four hours but even four hours is is not acceptable you know customers want to be able to uh, do an intraday you know intraday update you know latest snapshot for the gl um you know of, of the sort of latest balances bang push it in and just a few minutes later you know look at their ytd performance for you know let's say, let's say um you know particularly when they're trying to close the books on month end you know that type of thing they want to fire an update in bang get the answers out have a look at it so that's where aso um you know really really uh, you know starts to win what hybrid then adds on top of that is it gives that um, dynamic and sort of high performance aggregation capability, but it puts it onto the BSO type of cube. So you can add um, high performance for big sparse dimensions, that type of thing, but still have the complexity of if you're trying to run complex calcs, for example, you know, multi-layer allocations, you know, top-down forecasting, that, that, that type of thing as well. So that kind of bridged the gap between the two. I would say in the, in the BI space, most commonly it's um, it's a it's an ASO cube that you use, um, principally because um, it's normally it's it's almost always a bottom up calculation. It's always a bottom up aggregation of, of some type um, that you want to do. Things that they've added that have really moved that even further forward is um, you can actually run calc scripts in in ASO now. What that means is, whereas before you could only do a bottom-up aggregation, you couldn't, for example, run an allocation. You couldn't, for example, take last year's data and copy it into into this year's to create a you know seed forecast. Um, you can now do that in the world of ASO. So BSO is still there. It's still, if you wanted to run, uh, you know, a multi-layer allocation, for example, or run top-down, uh, you know, forecasting that type of thing. You probably, you know, you'd probably still use that and it's still the backbone of pbcs but 
the the power, the performance, the capacity, the scale that you can do on the the ASO side is is increasing and increasing to the point where it kind of starts to then touch or certainly overlap what you would have traditionally done in relational. And that's really nice because it means when you're looking at solution architecture, there's not a gap anymore. There used to be a gap where you are, um, you know, when in the particularly when it was BSO versus, uh, you know, BSO cubes and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, relational data marts, there was always a little bit of a gap in terms of the capacity you could put in the cube versus how quick you could get aggregations to run in, 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 in your data mart. ASO has really, really bridged that gap, um, but not taken anything away as well. It's, it's, been, it's been very, very additive. So, you know, so that was kind of the last few years of, of, of S-Base. And of course, cloud now, um, you know, they've, uh, um, you know, they've done a, you know, frankly, they've done a, 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 you know, really nice job. It's still early days, um, but it is S-Base 12 up there in the cloud. Um, you know, and, and for example, one of the things that always used to, um, be a little bit challenging was S-Base had a very old security model. What they've done is they've re-architected all of that. It's now integrated into basically an Oracle single sign-on platform, IDCS, uh, Internet Directory Cloud Services, I think, um, where all of your um, BI, Publisher Cloud, or BIX, Publisher Cloud, DVCS, and S-Base, it's all single sign-on now as well. But it's single sign-on um, with Active Directory integration to your customers on-premises Active Directory environment as well. So, you know, that's the kind of direction they've been going on and it works, generally it works really nicely. Okay, so imagine now, imagine I hired your company and imagine I hired Incubix now to do a, uh, you know, you want a tender to do um, to do an implementation of, of OAC with, with, with potentially with that space, but at the moment it's just OAC. Yeah. And there's a bit of kind yes, of, maybe yeah. there's a bit of, uh, bit of kind of, up, there's a bit maybe of migration of on-premise stuff into the cloud and there's a bit of kind of new yeah. development. How, what's your general approach to going into starting a project? So you're going in to start a project on OAC how do you typically kind of like phase that project and, and what are you looking to find out at the start and, and generally how do you deliver these kind of projects really? Um, yeah, good question. The, I mean, in fact, it's particularly good that you, you kind of said, so it's an Oracle Analytics cloud project, mm. but may or may not be S-based and that you're, you're absolutely bang on the money. So there. how do you, make, how do you, you know? make that decision? So one of the, one of the questions I often, often used to get from, yeah. from architects inside the companies I'm working with is, how we make a decision do i go for this this or this how do you make how do you make those decisions and decide on the architecture you're going to use really so the first question is um well one of the ways we position it actually let me let, let me let me present mm. it as what my approach would be rather than mm. you know quick questions to ask mm. is if the customer has an existing estate you know of, of uh, you know on premises obi 11 let's say for argument's sake the first thing we would do is we'd actually run a health check of that what that does is um or the outcomes that we want to generate from that is understand what the customer's pain points are because if they're running that existing system and they say we love it we love it everything runs really fast everything runs really well with we're, we're going to take a you know we're going to take a good look at what they're running at the moment and, and look for recommendations but what we're less likely to do is say hmm, okay let me you know maybe we need to to, to review your, your you know your solution architecture at a bit more of a fundamental level versus if a customer says well yeah we you know we we, we love all of the dashboard and we kind of love the reporting but 
we don't like how long it takes to you know do data updates we don't like the fact that um you know maybe bi is disconnected from the s-base guys i mean that's a classic sort of uh, you know problem a classic thing where the guys might end, you know they're running on a different schedule the guys are reporting different numbers maybe they're just saying that the reporting performance is slow so we kind of look at the the pain points that the customer um has and then off the back of that we can then put together a number of recommendations uh, and those recommendations could be a straightforward um, lift and shift it could be a lift and shift with some augmentation or as in you know in, in the case of, of, of you know what we what we've seen with with some customers where they're saying well actually it's really slow and you know that the you know the the cost of building new reports is very very expensive that's when we tend to, to you know sort of do more of a, a bottom-up uh, review of the solution architecture overall and actually un understand why and you know as, as i'm sure you well know there's a whole bunch of classic classic mistakes that that um you know people make mistakes that i'm sure you made early days mistakes mm. certainly i you know no, i didn't made, never made them <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly i don't learn i learn from other people's mistakes not yeah of course um you know and um you know but, but but one of the things is where where customers have particularly you know i see that type of thing where customers have 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 said right well we're going to do this ourselves we've got a bunch of contractors in and uh, you know we're going to build this ourselves, and typically they get you know let's say an obie contractor but that you know he might be fantastic at building um dashboards that look beautiful but mm. that doesn't necessarily know he uh, mean he knows how to uh, get the best of modeling the data in the physical layers it doesn't even mean necessarily that he's particularly good at modeling it in in the rpd um you know if he doesn't know um you know you, you kind of have to know pretty well all of them um you know between relational between the you know the visualization end between the rpd um and and s base and only once you've got that oversight of all of them that's when you can make um you know highly valuable recommendations to a customer about how to give them you know performance consistency beautiful reports you know and yeah. everything um, you, you, you made a good question. You, you, the point you made there, actually, just to interrupt you. I mean, you, you talked about contractors there, and I think one of the things that's interesting is to think about is what do you think is the state of knowledge of contractors and generally people working in the market now of the Oracle products? Because there was a period, you know, probably about sort of five years ago, when I think you could probably argue that OBI and S space in their standalone yeah. kind of like versions were fairly well known. And I, mean, I had a part in that yeah. too. I wrote the book on it at the time, and, and, and you were working in that area. What's the state of skills like now in the market? Do you think? Uh, and you know being being frank and being honest sort of thing yeah yeah well funnily enough i was listening to uh christian berg's uh podcast that you you, you, mm. you, know, that you, you know that i think uh when was that you did that that was your christmas, christmas. And new year special wasn't yeah. it that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. longest one I, ever actually yeah that was uh, <laughs> i know I, I did look at that one and think wow you know you guys had a good good chat there yes. um you know but to be honest i think you know christian made some really really good points because one of your questions to him is you know why have you always been a contractor christian and he was kind of positioning it as saying well you know the, the reason it's worked for him is because by being a contractor he can go in without an agenda um you know he can he can make the recommendations of what he truly believes is right for the customer without having to necessarily follow the corporate playbook that that you know one of the big four might might uh, you know might feel they need to um and he was absolutely right in that but equally he was simultaneously absolutely wrong in in my opinion as well because whilst the big four um you know have to kind of typically follow the, the corporate playbook um we're cubics 
our entire reputation is actually off the back of um, being able to make recommendations that are right for the customer and that work for you know that work for the customer but where we can you know where as a consultancy organization we can we can add more value is it's very hard for one person to know absolutely everything so as you know as a contractor or even as a you know let's say as argument for sake for as a team of contractors right you go into a project and there's let's say maybe four contractors on there they're not necessarily going to work as effectively as a team because they've all got their own remits they're all they've all got their own agenda I was a contractor for four years myself, right? You're, um, you know, it's the, uh, there's a lot of contractors where their remit is get a renewal, get a three-month renewal, get six-month renewal, um, you know, and, and, and therefore come, become sometimes a little bit protective. Now, I, one of the things I really noticed with that Christian was saying was actually he's made his reputation by, by not being protective. He's made his reputation by... Uh, doing a good job and actually having the difficult conversations with customers saying, I think there's a diff different way of doing it. And that's one of the things that as, as Cubics we can do as well is because if we roll four people onto a project, um, if the project changes, let's say, for example, you know, let, 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 let's say the, you know, the customer came up with, with some new requirements that, that required a different solution architecture through in the world of contractors. Everyone's going, to be like, oh, my God, but, but you know, that, the, the, the contractors are going to become defensive. We can very easily switch. We can very easily change um you know and, and switch in other guys you know with 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 different skills or so forth so it gives us flexibility but because we're not the big four we're not kind of bound by that uh you know corporate uh, you know clipbook of uh, approach we can liaise much more closely with the particular business lines that are trying to solve a problem, um, but you know, communicate both up and down the chain as well. So mm. that, that's kind of where I think. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, interesting. I yeah. think I think Christian's angle as well, a point as well was was that as you know, as a business, there is that you know that you become um, very. Con we talk about later, this later on with the kind of business consulting conversation, but you know, there, there's always a kind of a, a, a desire to maybe put less experienced people on the project to get them kind of experienced and, and mm. things like that. So there's, there's there's things that go on from a business perspective, but but like you know, but equally, you know, I've met contractors who can be very very earnest, but but can be wrong as well. Um, and yeah. and I think it all depends. Really. What about all about actually kind of knowledge of the products as well? Because there's been quite. I mean, the conversation you and I had, you know, at the, in Athens was was talking about you know every so often there's a kind of a big massive change in in, in the kind of the platform really with you know, it went from say sort of Discoverer to Siebel Analytics yes, and Siebel yeah. Analytics to whatever. And and there's I suppose there's a natural kind of reluctance sometimes from people. And I'm not putting Christian in this in this kind of category, but a natural reluctance to kind of go and learn it all again. Um, and, yeah. but, and cloud is interesting as well because cloud I think presents its own challenges about actually getting hold of the software as well you know, it's quite hard to, to, for an extended period of time to get hold of Oracle software what's, oh, the level right. of, yeah. what's the level of knowledge like now within the, within the industry of these products do you think? Actually, before I answer that, one thing I do need to say is I was actually completely agreeing. I thought yeah, I thought Christian, um, you know, provided very, very earnest and, and and very, very insightful responses. But I also thought he's atypical of contractors because what you often find with contractors is, um, you know, uh, you know, particularly I've worked with many, many contractors over the years. Is there's often is yes, 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 I can do it. Um, you know, and then actually you kind of get them in and you can see they're furiously googling away and that you know. 
that's some you know some contractors there are of course an awful lot of contractors that have been doing it for many many years and are fantastically good but the risk is they then become a little bit singular as well because you know there's um you know in fact one of there's, there's a guy i've been uh, you know, uh, there's an S-base guy I've known for 20 years. He still really only knows S-base BSO because that's all he's been exposed to. And it's hard as a contractor to make sure you stay at the at, at the forefront. But you're, you know, the, the sort of contra view that you shared there is, um, you know, and, and um, you know, it's a particularly well-known, you know, that the, the big four do this, where, um, you know, they spin out, spin up the big guns to win the sale. Um, you know, do a bit of solution architecture with the big guns, and then the graduates come in. You know, and the, and the graduates, uh, you know, f- you know, fantastically hardworking, but you know, at the same time, they don't know. They just haven't got the, you know, the, the enough projects, you know, in 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 their uh, in their pocket to know that okay, the documentation says that should work, but the truth is, here's a much better way of doing it. Yeah, and they, and they have to learn the hard way. You have to learn somewhere, uh, don't you? I mean, and also customers, yeah, they yeah. they ask for blended rates typically. You know, they want you to bring the mm. rate down so that it's either that or send it to India. I mean, what's the? Do you still see there's as much? Do you do you still see much? Um, I suppose offshoring going on within the industry uh, now, or is it is that is that gone away now, or what? Um, actually, I'd say it's um, as full speed ahead as ever. Because funnily enough, I was, uh, you know, I, had, I was, uh, you know, we were discussing this this kind of exact topic with with, um, you know, my my fellow directors at Cubix um, yesterday, because um, we've got an India office, and what I see is there's there's kind of you know very clearly two two different types of of um, projects these days. There are the um, there are the larger projects where you're saying let's say for argument's sake your your build team are five plus um, and what we're seeing is that customers very clearly and very specifically want that uh, you know, uh, local face who is the SME, who is, you know, who is the solution architect, who is the the go-to guy, but at the same time, they don't want to, you know, spend on, on having that entire locally based build team that they would have classically had. They want a lot of that build capability then to, to go offshore. Um, you know, so we're seeing that's, that's one of the things customers are, um, you know, particularly liking now. And to be honest, we're finding that works really, really well. I mean, our, um, uh, one of the things we've tried to be very careful of is make sure that our India team are um, not just developers, but they're consultants. And you know, we've got we've got some fantastically good guys. Uh, you know, some of the, you know, particularly some of the senior team in India, um, so that um, you know they're they're you know so that they're able to fulfil a broader spectrum of roles. There's that type of project, but there are still many many instances where. Uh, where, where customers do still want, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the, the local footprint or, uh, you know, UK based footprint, uh, you know, and because it's part of a much, much larger program, what they want is, is you know, the faces where they can, you know, they can just, you know, kind of grab the guys and pull them in a meeting room and say, hey, we, we need to do this. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm not seeing and I'm going to say at, at the moment, because I know there's lots of projects where this could work. I'm not seeing in, in our space, at least, 
projects at the moment where the entirety of it is India based, unless the customer has a has a lot of uh, you know has a strong India uh, base them, themselves already. Um, you know they still want that that sort of you know that that customer success manager or the solution architect or the relational re- relationship manager locally, and then they want to sort of leverage the offshore resources to to manage cost and to increase capacity and increase scale. So it's kind of a hybrid. Uh, you know, thing that that's, that that we're saying is 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 sort of what works for customers at the moment. So, so are you finding then? I mean, other conversations I've had with with people working in the kind of S space and OBI space is that you know, cloud has created an expectation now that projects will be kind of sh- uh, quicker to deliver. Um, yeah, and certainly with um, certainly with the infrastructure side and the wiring together side, in theory, that yeah. should be uh, a bit shorter. Uh, are you finding oh, that? Are, are you finding that that um, projects now are coming in cheaper in terms of time and days and so on, or always other customers? Does their kind of does, does their kind of scope and expectation grow? Meaning that the project is still as big. I mean, what, what's the what's the size of a project like these days, and what's the kind of budget like, and how's it go? Well, certainly getting an environment up and running for a customer is um, from, if it, you know, in the old days, you would be you'd be waiting a month or two for the, you know, for, for the infrastructure team to, to plug a server in. You then have the Windows SAs to, you know, to 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 install Windows. You then have the DBAs, to, you know, it, it could be a long lead time and, and you know, certainly many tens of days in, in total to, to spin up an, an environment. Even if the you know even if the BI piece or the S base piece itself was 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 quick and easy, um, with um, Oracle Cloud you can have a fully functional, very large, very powerful um, database S base and BI server running in less than a couple of hours. I I haven't timed it if you if, if I'm brutally honest. It is still quite fiddly. It is still quite fiddly with OAC though, isn't it? I mean I think that yeah. it, 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 well, it's I mean, fiddly it, the I first it, time. Yeah. T- talk us through think, kind of like talk us through what's involved in an install and a setup really and, and where it can be um, I suppose some of the tricks you found or things you found that work well or whatever on that. Yeah. I mean you're absolutely right. It can the the very first time I mean I remember the first the first time I you know I thought okay let's you know let's uh, let's make sure Cubics are the guys that know how to do this ahead of anybody else. So you know so a bunch of us uh, you know when it when it very first came out we whipped out the credit card and uh, you know signed up and on, on off we go. So yeah that very very first time is a little bit um fiddly because there's there's a few unknowns but once you know what you're doing, it's highly repeatable. And in fact, it's highly repeatable to the extent that you can actually automate it. You could actually use the API to spin up an entire OAC environment um, with just a few standardized command line scripts, you know, using curl if you wanted. But some, of, I mean, certainly some of the gotchas is um, you need to design the cloud networking the right way if you want to use a VPN. Tell us um, about that. Want... Tell us about that because that's kind of non-obvious, really. We we talked. I think it's about three points yeah, in. We were yeah. discussing this on uh, in Athens, and where, where does the complexity mm. come in there, and why why does it need to be dealt with, and why is it there in the first place? Well, the the reason why is when you do 
um, an install of all of the products. Basically, you always end up with the IP address and the host name of the different nodes so that they know how to, how to talk to each other. So the complexity comes in is that it's very easy to spin up an environment and more or less hit next, next, next. However, once the machines are built and they've got their IP addresses and their host names sort of in, embedded in the, in the applications a little bit, if you then want to integrate that into cu the customer's environment, you need a VPN. Now, one of the things that, um, you know, whether it's BT or IBM or, you know, even the customer's own, you know, um, infrastructure team always want to do is they want to architect VPNs a particular way. They want to they want um, all of the machines that are in the cloud to have uh, to have the VPN using public IP addresses inside the private network. And, you know, and, and uh, now that's not a technical requirement, but it is always with ev with all of the, you know, with all of the, you know, with all of the SIs, we, 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 you know, we've been working with. That's always a requirement. Now, what you don't want to have to do is to, is to then kind of have to go and do a bit of head scratching and thinking, oh, oh, we have to we have to go and re-architect re our OAC environments because all of the private IP addresses are on a private range, you know, 10 dot something or 192.168 something, um, you know, that would be the default way it gets built because it's the simple way to build it. So that's one and a great example of something where an early question you want to ask the customer is, you know, is, do you, are you happy to run it as sort of standalone cloud or do you want to integrate it to your on-premises environment through a, a VPN? Um, you know, so that's, uh, you know, that's certainly, I mean, I'm, I don't mind saying I know we were the first guys in the world to do that because we, um, you know, because we actually had to get Oracle to do a little, little bit of a bug fix in there. And the day they made that release, we, we, we sort of had that environment built for, for, for one of our customers. Um, so that's kind of one of the gotchas. There's a, but there's a whole bunch of other gotchas as well that you just, once you know, you know, and they're easy, always use high performance disks. Actually, that's a really, that's a really big ticket item. If you don't know it, you go through and you hit next, next, next. You get standard disks and you, you know, and you think, oh, oh, you know, I thought this was going to be a bit faster. And instead, and, and, and what you do is you add more CPUs, you add more memory. Truth is both in relational database and S-Base, you want the fastest possible disks and they're really low cost. Oracle have done really, really nice job actually of making storage cheap. So um, for relational databases and S-Base, less, less important on the BI side unless you're going to turn caching on, um, you know, always use the high performance disks. But again, it's one of those things, if you miss, if you've missed that off the order form at the beginning, you know that could be a bit of head scratching on on how to how okay. to do it. So okay. there's lo lots and lots of things you need to bear in mind. So so one like one real last question on space now. It's quite a few obviously you've got to talk through here. But um, so when, when <laughs> do I last got to my space training course, by the way. No, I I'm, 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 I only ask questions I know the answer to. You see, so uh, I know so, I, I <laughs> so 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 actually, there's one thing I'm, I'm I'm curious about. So when I last left uh, OBI 12C. S-Base was in there as purely as a kind of query accelerator with a kind yeah. of with a new API to do this kind of query acceleration job, which which it struck me as 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 kind of a bit of a kind of a last century solution to a problem these days yeah. is solved by things like in memory caches and so on. I mean, did that ever go anywhere? And is that is that being used or I mean, for, for, for anyone listening, maybe just kind of recap on what that is. And, and um, you know, is it there now or is it a bit of a kind of like a, 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 um, a blind alley? 
Well, if, if I'm honest, in terms of the way I look at solution architecture for customers, I've always found it to be a little bit of a blind alley because if you're going, you know, this and this includes whether or not you're doing cloud, whether or not you're doing on premises, if you are going to the effort of building uh, an S-based cube, I've always felt that it's worth then putting all of the extras, all of the good stuff that S-Base adds on as well to facilitate and enable the ad hoc uh, you know all of the ad hoc reporting capability, the built-in financial intelligence, the built-in time series intelligence, um, and therefore if you're just using it as an accelerator, you, you, you're missing out a little bit. You know, so you know, so that's so that's why if 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 S space is is in the mix, I would always custom build the S base cube. It doesn't take much extra effort actually. It's you know it takes. Um, you know, because by the time you've built your data mart, you've got your dimensions, you know, you've got your fact table, your dimensions and that it doesn't take much extra effort to 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 to, to have a uh, what I would call optimized S-based cube design. But the upside for the customer is is quite profound because it's not just an accelerant. Then it, it gives you all of that ad hoc, all of that, you know, uh, you know, ragged hierarchy capability, time series, financial intelligence. You know, so it's a, you know, it's an and, 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 you know, in terms of the, the, the capacity and the capability for the customer. Your other point then about in memory is um, one of the things I mostly see is if customers are struggling. So let's say let's leave S-Base completely out of the loop here for now. In I'm going to say let's uh, 70 or 80 percent of the cases where I've seen customers struggling with um, BI performance in almost all of those cases, well, the 70 or 80% of the cases, what I actually find is that they've not modeled their data effectively in the physical layer. And inevitably, what they've done is they've turned on caching or, you know, or, or something like that to try to put a band-aid over the fact that what they haven't done is modeled the data correctly and efficiently in, in the physical layers underneath. So, um, you know, in memory, Yes, caching. Yes, always as a time and place uh, for, for both of those. But what I actually usually find is that it's relatively straightforward to look at the way they've done the, the physical modeling, the way they're storing the data just in the underlying physical layers, whatever that physical layer is, um, you can usually get a significant extra amount of performance out of it just by modeling the data more effectively and a classic error customers would, would make uh, you know they've uh, you know if their question is most mostly a, a you know I need to know a year to date I need a year to date number they've usually got the different months of the year in the rows classic thing pivot it into the columns 12 times you know uh, 12 times less number of rows, 12 times faster queries, such a big win for a customer. And then your caching and, you know, and, and uh, sort of in-memory database, they can kind of become the icing. You know, you're not using them to underpin the performance. You're using them to turn the dial up from, from 10 to 11 rather than from one to, you know, five, maybe, if you know what I mean. Interesting. Um, I mean, having worked in the, the, the startup world the last kind of year and a half, two years and working with um, 
I suppose data stores like BigQuery, you know, data, the thought of data modeling, it's like kind of discussing carpentry or kind of falconry or something. It's it's something yeah. that is, is, is kind of, I suppose in a way not needed, but it's not even thought about really. Um, and, yeah, but, but, yeah. But, but then, you know, but certainly I think, like you say, I mean, you, you do, even, even with services like BigQuery, in the end, you have to kind of be aware that if you're going to join two big tables together, that's not going to work. You know, you've got things yeah, like nested yeah. columns and so on. And I think it is, like you say, you know, you can throw, I always thought caching was the last, was the last desperate throw of the dice on a project yeah, where, where, where you really hadn't done your homework in the first place, really. And I used to always laugh when we found, um, you know, OBI best practices things on the internet. Um, and it would always say on there, turn off logging and enable caching. And I think at that point, <laughs> that, that is, that, that's kind of like, that is the kind of hell yeah exactly so uh, yeah. so yeah. the other thing really i wanted to talk to you about was when we got talking about this again in, in athens was um was uh your take on consulting really so so uh you know tell us a bit about i suppose in a way let's start with recruiting okay so you're gonna imagine i i hired you as my kind of head of delivery or something in, in, in a company where we were going to uh, build a consulting team what would you look for in people and how would you build start to build a team really and what kind of what kind of characteristics of people you'd be looking for really in terms of a good kind of mix of people in the consulting team the yeah it certainly is um different to what it used to be in in, you know let's say even 10 years ago it was very easy to have a significant proportion of the of the of the consulting team being more or less purely technical you know they could be heads down you know behind the keyboard just just you know bashing bashing code out code out kind of guys one of the things that's changed is because the products have more capacity and more capability immediately built into them there's less of a need for for you know for that uh, you know coder type of person and it's much more now about understanding the business and about guiding the customer to do things the the right way because there's so much that comes out of the box um there's there's much less of that purely technical i mean it's still there it's still needed you know i I think about some of our guys um you know hardcore technical guys but very focused on the outcome for the customer very very personable um but also very good at managing the expectations and the relationships of you know with 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 the customer and uh, in fact we're doing you know we're doing a, a we're doing a, a project at the moment where um one of our guys is is in there doing doing some some business analysis and uh one of the things the customer has done is they've given them uh, a sort of a spreadsheet or you know excel workbook um with around about 35 sheets um of layering of all of the calcs and all of the analysis that that they want to do and the message that we're sort of working through with with the customer in that example is you could do that but these are what other customers in you know similar state to you that you know similar place to you trying to solve the same problem are doing they're doing it this way and you know, and the the you know, and and they're doing it therefore much more quickly, much more cheaply, much more cost effectively. Um, so that you know, so the project is costing them less, um, and that's a lot more part of what the you know what a consultant needs to be able to do these days is not just bash code out, but actually um, you know guide and train and and you know sort of really take the customer along for the journey of not just saying. Yes, okay, we'll write you some code to solve that problem. But very much saying, you know, in, in our experience, if you want to solve that problem, here's how we would recommend doing it. And, and in fact, one of the things we, we, uh, we teach our team is um, you never say no to a customer. Because if you say no, 
you know the conversation has ended and this is a you know this is a counterproductive uh, you know that's a counterproductive conversation so the answer you know or the technique actually is yes but so yes we could do it that way but if we do do it that way here are the consequences of it so we recommend we would do it this way instead um now sometimes you know you drill into a bit more detail and you know you, you kind of you, you know you have to do it one one way or another but it's those types of interpersonal skills um you know those types of you know the the, the poise and the presence um you know that consultants need these days to be able to command a room to be able to uh you know to collaborate and liaise with a customer and sometimes have those difficult conversations where you need to say to the customer there's a better way of doing it we know you've been doing it that way for 15 years but there's a better way of doing it now and uh you know and persuading the customer that uh, you know to, to do that so that's the type of sort of persona and, and type of you know profile of, of, of person that we need and funnily enough just two weeks ago um we we had a, a, a cubics vision day and and the majority of my presentation throughout the day was on tips and techniques to mm. you know to uh, you know to to take customers on that journey Mm. Yeah. So do you tend to recruit, uh, do you tend to recruit kind of experienced people or uh, I know you're going to say in the end, it depends in the mix of them, but do you, is your, is your strategy to employ people who are the finished objects or the people who are very junior? What, what do you mm. do? What, how do you, what's your strategy around recruiting at the moment? Well, when we spoke in Athens, I think I did say depends because um, <laughs> I, I was thinking about it and I thought, yeah, well, you know, it's, <laughs> it does depend. It's a mix, isn't it really? Yeah. I mean, what, what yes. is, okay, put it a different yeah. way on, on a, on a, if you have a pod or a, or a kind of a, yeah. a project team, for example, how do you try and sort of balance the mix of, of kind of, I suppose, young people, new people, experienced people, that sort of thing? What we're finding and what, what, what we're doing these days is when, when I started, um, mm. It was very easy for me to fly in on a project, um, stay, keep my head under the radar, you know, bash out a bunch of code, um, you know, bunch of bugs in it because I was learning on the job and, you know, and, and fixing it, and having a go. And there being someone, you know, more senior who was kind of keeping me under their, their wing a little bit because the product and because the tech and because the expectations of, of customers have moved on so far these days, that's much, much, much harder to do. So, so actually at the moment, um, we, in terms of a UK recruitment policy, we pretty much exclusively go with guys that have got at least three, more likely five plus years of experience. Um, now it might be that they've got, for argument's sake, five plus years of experience of on-premises builds. You know that that you know that's that's a very typical thing. But if people have that project experience, that customer-facing experience, they've done enough projects to know what works, what doesn't. Enough projects to know what they're good at as well. I mean, that's knowing knowing yourself is one of the key key things. Know what you're good at. Know, know what you're less good at, and either put the effort in to become better or learn how to you know learn how to, to body swerve the things you, you, you're less good at so people who have that self-awareness um so yeah i'd probably say we recruited a more you know or not probably we we in the uk we're certainly recruiting at a more senior level these days with the hardcore more pure technical guys being you know the offshore resources these days mm. 
So how do you how do you make money on that then? I mean, because it's it's yeah, the thing that certainly I used to find in my days in this area was that you know you 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 would the the, the margin you would make on on kind of new stuff coming in um, was the margin that kind of ran the, ran the business and and people who knew people who knew what they were doing, people who were experienced, also knew the value of what they were doing and also mm-hmm. wanted to be able to go to conferences. They wanted to be able to kind of write blog posts. They wanted to kind of get yep. some time yep. down. So how do you balance that out, really? How do you, how do, how do you make money on those people and motivate them um, and, and, and make it all work, really? It's all about making sure you provide good customer value. Um, customers, are, customers are happy to still, you know, to pay a, a, a good rate if what they're getting is top class, uh, you know, consultancy expertise and, and and recommendations. What they're not, what customers aren't prepared to pay for anymore, is someone who who sits there and turns up and says, "Tell me what to do." You know, they, they you know, they, you know, they're they're the types of guys where you know, customers go, "Whoa, whoa,", whoa. Uh, you know. But what they want is is you know, guys that land that it can very quickly start saying to the customer, "Well, you know, I understand your business. Have you looked at this?" We think you should explore this. We, you know, being very, very proactive. So at that end of the scale, now, and that's not necessarily your principal consultants. Uh, you know, just your principal consultants. You know, you've got you know, sort of practice director, principal consultants, senior consultants. In fact, everybody in the organisation needs to operate in that way. Um, you know, and and that's a sort of a, you know, that's still a very broad spectrum of of uh, of people but the very junior the graduate end that's where there's less of an opportunity in 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 the uk now but it's very cyclical right i mean you've been in it long enough as well uh, you know it's very very cyclical um you know and uh, you know and, and to be honest that's why one of the reasons why we have our own sort of marketing uh, uh, department, why we have our own sales teams as well, because because it is so cyclical. Um, you know, we work with Oracle. You know, well, we're exclusively an Oracle part platinum Oracle partner, but we work with the Oracle sales team. We've also got our own uh, initiatives, our own you know our own campaigns. We run our own products as well uh, to to take some of that uh, you know cyclic nature out of it so that we can uh, you know yeah. we can ride the highs but the lows aren't quite so bad for us either and to be fair, I mean, obviously, you're not one to blow your own trumpet, but Cubics are pretty good, pretty good in this area. And in terms of quality, and, and I've known Roger. Is, is it Roger the guy who, who founded it? Um, Roger Cressy, I think it's Roger Cressy, isn't well, it? One of the, the founders. Yeah, Roger. Yeah, well, exactly right, Roger. The original founder of the company actually was a gentleman called Julian Owens, um, and he is, you know, he he still is the CEO. He lives out in Australia now. Uh, you know, he, he he so he founded the original company when it uh, when that original company was um, I'm going to call it upgraded, um, but you know was was uh, it was sort of uh, wound down and replaced with Cubics International. It was um, uh, Roger Roger Cressy who you know who you know Julian and another gentleman called Ed Ed Hallsworth who uh, is is also in Australia office now as well. They were the sort of three three founding members of of Cubics. Um, you know, and then uh, my, myself, Paul, and, and Neil, um, albeit uh, you know, particularly myself and, and Neil, we joined the company 20 years ago. Junior guys worked our way up, you know, through through the years, okay. uh, you know, so to, to where we are now. One one more kind of question for you: How how has cloud affected projects? Then, I mean, obviously, 
Oracle were late, were sort of somewhat late to the game with cloud, really. But they have, but they have yeah. an offer which is very sort of differentiated. Um, there's the, you know, there's mm-hmm. the, there's, there's the, uh, the changes in the way you can deliver things in the cloud, and there's and there's different products mm-hmm. and so on. How has cloud affected the, the the business really of Cubix over the last kind of couple of years? It's turned it on its head, to be honest, because as you note, Oracle were well in 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 the, in the business analytics space. Oracle were were very late to the game. They dropped off the Gartner quadrant. They, you know, there's quite a lot of uh, you know certainly a lot of, a lot of contractors, a lot of customers, and a lot of everybody going whoa 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 what's going on here, um, you know. So where they were. Um, you know, I, I would say on target with with the game was on the on the PBCS side. One of the things we one of the things we clocked very very early on was that cloud was the future. We saw the we you know we saw the massive um, you know massive impact that AWS was was having across the board. We realised very very early on that, that that cloud was absolutely going to be the future. So we've made sure. That um, you know that that we you know to 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 be right at the forefront of of everything cloud, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so evangelical about um, about uh, analytics cloud is because you know we made sure we were right at the forefront as soon as it came out we were you know we we were we were you know bashing the credit card, hitting it hard, testing it, um, making sure that we knew. I'm going to say more than everybody else. I'm sure there's, you know, the different people, you know, to focus different areas, but making sure that we were right at, right at the front of the curve, because it what it means now when we're looking at sort of uh, customers want to do an upgrade, they want to go from on premises. Um, in fact, no, customers generally just want to do the right thing, and they kind of almost don't mind whether it's on premises or cloud. They want to do what's right right for them. We need to be able to look customers in the eye and say, cloud is right for you and it'll save you money and it gives you more features and it gives you more capabilities. So we made sure we were right, you know, very, very, uh, you know, very much at the, at the front of cloud and continue to be, I hope, uh, you know, very, very, very much at, at the front of the cloud. More than 50 percent of our business now is uh, is, is cloud, um, you know, which given how recent oracle analytics cloud is Hmm. um you know we've got you know quite a lot of customers already on oracle analytics cloud um you know and and you know the rest of the oracle cloud products as well you know the hfm space planning those sides as well i'd say it's rare for there to be an on-premises project now i'd say the first port of call first port of call on all of those is cloud first so, so back um, in my days of OBI, the thing that drove a lot of OBI business was was was, was uh, sales of e-business suite. So so that yeah. would drive that. Uh, is there still something external to to uh, RAC and space that's driving sales of those products, um, or is that falling away now? I mean, I know Fusion was there as, a, as an, app, an app suite at the time. Does that still exist as an outside driver? Yeah, very much so. And in fact, Oracle sort of regularly, um, you know, re- regularly do a bit of a bit of a, a, a reorg as well. And, and you know, ten, you know, basically realign things. I mean, in fact, there's just been another there's just been another reorg now, um, you know. So, yeah, very much so. And, you know, certainly what we saw was, um, you know, well, what what we did was we sort of engaged in, a, in, in some partnerships with, you know, with sort of e- e-business suite, uh, you know, vendors and so forth that didn't have the space or the you know or the or the business analytics or the you know visualization experience and uh, you know and they were kind of saying oh, oh well we, you know we know what we're doing over here but how, how are we going to do that bit as well and and you know conversely we were saying well you know okay we're 
you know, at least at that time, we were like, well, we're probably not going to make that investment into e-business suite, um, you know, because if we're going to do it, we want to make damn sure we can do it well. Um, let's partner with somebody, you know. So that was what we did, at, you know, at that time. What we're finding now is that, um, you know, with with again, particularly with the Oracle Analytics Cloud platform and all of the other cloud projects, products, sorry, I should say, the projects are. Uh, are are still very standalone. They're perhaps more more standalone uh, than we expected them to be, which is to our benefit. Um, there's been the there's been the occasional opportunity that we've um, that we've not won because we couldn't do the EBS end. Uh, you know, but I'd say that's that's relatively rare. You know, I'd say that the segregation of of uh, uh, you know different companies doing doing different you know or, or in implementing different sort of systems is uh, you know is certainly still there. Are you finding there are, are you find sorry are you finding there are sales going on to customers who are not already kind of like heavily embedded with Oracle? So you know, would you find people were going out and buying OAC with their space? And they're using, say, SAP or something, or they're using Salesforce. I mean, or is it is it selling purely to people who are already heavily invested in Oracle? Uh, at the moment, um, maybe not heavily invested, but hmm. they are mostly customers who already know the good things about Oracle. Um, and I think that's actually one of the one of the challenges at the moment. I was actually over in uh, Dublin a uh, week before last, and I, I did a presentation to the you know to the to the um, you know to the Oracle Digital team out there, because one of the things that has become quite obvious is, and it, and this loops back to the the point you made at the beginning of the conversation of what is OAC. The you know the tech reps were looking at OAC and saying, well, what is it? How do I position it with a customer? Because there's so many things it could be. And you, uh, you know, and it, and that, and that's actually been been particularly one of the challenges. That's exactly why we are, you know, um, you know, why I went over to, to Dublin to do, you know, to 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 do a presentation to to the reps over there, um, to help them um, understand what to position with customers, how to how to how to move it forwards, because it is really good, it is very powerful, but you've got to, you've got to understand the the customer that you're trying to sell to and then know what you're up against as well it's easy to misfire it's very easy to misfire so you know and again that's where i you know i hope we can uh, you know continue yeah. to do well last product question for you now you're probably the only other yeah. person i could ask this question to and who would know the answer so um I, so oh, I, you I, saved I, the hardest one for no, me. No, so so when, when they, so at um, at the event we were at, they announced uh, yes. uh, Oracle Autonomous Analytics Cloud, uh, which which yes. I I thought was a practical. I thought it was an April Fool's joke, but actually yeah. is actually a real product. And I noticed it came out yes. recently, and it's actually documented and actually available. Um, to, so yes. yeah. have you seen it? And what's your take on that, really? And what just explain if, what it is, maybe to people who don't understand. Well, if if I'm brutally honest, I haven't looked at it myself. We've, I've got some of our team looking at it at the moment, and they, they you know they're kind of currently you know working on it and reviewing it at the moment. I, I have to be brutally honest. I haven't actually looked at autonomous. Um, okay, or, uh, I can, I can actually go into that then. Actually, interestingly, I had look I had looked yesterday, uh, yesterday actually when I was looking through the stuff oh, on the OAC Data Lake, and it's um it, hmm. it, what it is it, it's it's interesting because it, it it's basically more. So you said earlier on about you could actually do an install of uh, of an OAC cluster with a couple of kind of curl scripts and so on, curl calls. 
and that's broadly what it is you know you you install it through uh, it's called oracle stack it's like i think it's templates effectively so it's a bit like the old days when you used to have those oracle vm templates when it would have a whole bunch of stuff you could you could install e-business suite for example using a template it's like that so it, it's 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 a, it's basically oac but it's with an easy install and i think a lot of the stuff that a lot of the controls and things that are exposed in oac are again sort of taken away it's not got the same kind of i think machine learning approach to kind of tuning itself in the background but i think it's a bit more oracle managed so it's a bit like an oracle mm, managed mm. version of oac which is a bit of a kind of contradiction in terms but yeah it's, mm, it's interesting mm. i certainly do see um, uh, aligned to that a lot more things sort of coming coming down the pipeline I was talking to uh, some of the Oracle field reps yesterday because right now OAC runs ba- or, or underneath what's called Oracle uh, OCI classic i.e. you know sort of classic infrastructure and what there is is a shift to move everything away from from classic into you know pure OCI to 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 simplify it to make things more scalable to make replication from a, you know a production to a DR site much more tight much more integrated um, you know so you know I certainly see that as a as a as a direction uh, you know and and uh, you know principally anything that reduces the the cost of ownership um, increases the uh, increases the value and reduces the time um, you know I mean it's it's pretty profound what's happened so far um you know and uh you know in fact did you i'm not sure if you saw did you see the ai and machine learning presentation in athens i think i did yes i think i did which one of them yeah 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 yeah, a gentleman called Matt Matt Stillwall. Oh yes, actually, yes, he did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very keen, yeah. Isn't I mean, he? I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Matt's because I really, <laughs> I really love his presentation style. He really knows all of the products fantastically well, and you know, if he he'll he'll you know he's happy to share everything he knows. I actually got him to do a a playback um, of of that Athens presentation to to our team a, a couple of weeks ago because I think that um, you know if we. Um, I think that's where the really, really interesting stuff is going to start to happen. Plumbing is just going to happen, um, you know, but where's the more, you know, where's the increased value to the, to the customer for that? But some of the things that um, are just around the corner, both in in, uh, in, in the DVCS world, it's, you know, you can run a neural network directly in data visualization cloud services. For example, that was one of, one of the things Matt's, Matt, Matt showed us, um, you know, or the um, AI and machine learning cloud services as well. And the particularly nice thing is they've not architected AI, uh, the AI and machine learning cloud service to be standalone. It, it can do lots of things and run very standalone, but there is an absolutely fantastic API in there as well. So when you build your machine learning or AI algorithm, once you've, tr- let's say, let's say you've spun up a neural network, once you've trained that neural network, it actually creates an API endpoint for you so you can embed it in almost any other product. That is fantastically powerful. So, um, so um you know so that 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 end of things that's where i'm seeing you know i'm i'm getting really really excited as you as you you can probably tell um, yeah. by the way my yeah. my degree back in the 90s i was doing ai back then i remember having to run a genetic algorithm for a week for my final year project and the only reason i didn't do a neural network um, you know uh, that was optimized with the genetic algorithm was because i just could not get the computing capacity so 
that's the power these days right cpu you know well, in fact gpu capacity the power the capacity the capability now that's where you know there there is going to be such a massive change in in our industry now because it can try so many different so, so many variations you know training a neural network used to be very very expensive you can train a neural network you know of of a let's call it mid-size in a couple of hours now you know and once it's trained it's lightning fast um you know so, so um yeah that's, that's where an interesting it's an interesting thing you say there. i mean you're talking there about the future of technology yeah and you're talking about things that motivate you i mean you, you you've been doing this for a long time now and you sound massively sort of enthusiastic and motivated and so on what 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 motivates you and what drives you on to kind of keep doing this? Because consulting is an interesting game in that, you know, mm. you have a lot of failures in projects. You know, you see a lot of kind of things repeating themselves and, you know, it's a hard game to be in. What motivates you to do it and how do you still keep on top of, top of it like you seem to do at the moment? Yeah, well, <laughs> one of the key ways I stay on top of it is I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 you know, I need my morning coffee. Um, but aside from that, um, to be honest, one of the things I realised and and when I when I was talking to you earlier about what 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 is a perfect consultant, you know, one of the things that I think is is very important for a consultant to be is self aware. And one of the things I learned about myself, um, you know, many many years ago now is um, I don't like things being steady state because Nothing is more dull doing the same thing again and again and again and again. That's a factory worker, right? That's, you know, that, that that's, you know, the factory worker pulling a lever, you know, that or, or you know, or, yeah, that, that's, um, you know, that's not mind food at all. But so, doing, But you've been doing airspace projects for 20 years now. I mean, is that not, is that not the same sort of thing? I mean, how do you, how do you motivate yourself to do another airspace project? there's very few pure space projects now the motivating thing is um you know it's almost never you know there's never going to be a pure space project anymore it's always a business analytics project now it's always where um you're you're putting visualizations on top you've got an edw or a data mark behind it um you're always trying to push the limits of capacity of capability and um you know looping back to my, my sort of point about machine learning and AI, I think there's a lot of hype in the industry as there was about big data. There's a lot of hype in the industry about what machine learning and AI can do. Um, But the truth is a lot of it's hype, but underneath the hype, there is, you know, whereas people used to say in, in, in the, you know, in the Hadoop world, okay, I've, you know, brilliant. Yeah, we've got Hadoop. Right. What should we do with it? And everyone kind of scratch their heads a bit. In the machine learning and AI space, um, everybody's getting it. And the things it can do are actually, if it's implemented the right way, are quite profound. Um the you know some of the prediction capability some of the some of the things you can do because the computer is faster and because the apis are now there because the interfaces are there because the visualizations are there some of the things you uh, are actually going to be able to start to do are really profound those repeatable jobs um let's look at finance right finance running month end um a lot of what um, is done through a month end process is the same thing month on month and the finance guys are kind of becoming data entry clerks because they're just running the same process again and again and again. automating um, you know and, and this is kind of 
then jumping into the uh, you know robotic process automation field as well automating those tasks so that the finance guy the finance guy who has spent you know five years training to be an accountant right very smart guy very highly skilled they don't want to be a data entry clerk they want to be analyzing the business understanding the business making recommendations of you know of how to innovate and how to improve the business and restructure it to improve performance and improve profitability and reduce costs so let the you know let the machine learning and the ai do the repetitive stuff and the business therefore do the the you know do the innovation and the you know well do the analysis that then provokes um, innovation as well and that's where the interest is innovation uh, you know, I know, for me uh, yeah, and and I think for I mean, for, I, mean I just I mean, probably like yourself, I just love this technology. Really, I mean, it's something that um, I still get me you know, massively excited by it by bringing some data and analysing it. You know, stretching things to the maximum and so on, and to the mm. point probably like you that do it in your spare time and in your weekends and evenings as well. It's just something, something you find very interesting, really. So. Uh, I mean, it's, been, it's been great speaking to you. I've noticed my, my children are back now from, uh, from being out. I can, hear, I can hear music playing downstairs and uh, that hey, sort of no thing. Problem. So I think it probably says to me it's time to, uh, yeah. to end my, things now. My but, I mean, it's been, yeah, yours are in bed, yeah. So it's been great yeah. speaking to you. How do people, just very quickly, how do people find out about Cubix and yourself on Twitter and that sort of thing? Just a few kind of like pointers to that. Well, our um, the, the, sort of the, the the first and easiest place to to find us is on our is actually on our website cubics.com. Um, there is a large large library um, on there. I mean, it's one of the things we've we've really invested heavily in is making sure that everything, all of our offerings in terms of what we do, how we do things, uh, you know, how how we operate, um, are on our website. Um, I'm also um, very active on LinkedIn as well. Um, so you'll always you'll always find me on there. I've got my own personal blog on uh, mattyork.com as well um personal blog because you know sometimes i i have a, a view on things that is a little bit less corporate mm. that I, uh, <laughs> I want i want to share uh you know um you know roughly you know kind of the same as same same as you're you're, you're doing here um yeah. and uh ac- active on twitter as well and uh you know uh, i think uh <laughs> in fact i've just logged in what's my twitter handle cubics matt excellent excellent and and quite a few people from cubics will be at kscope i think quite shortly as well i think quite a few of your, your team are going over there yeah yeah that's right we've got a team going over there we've got a uh we're, we're sort of just just uh hoping hoping to get a, one of our customers over there uh as well to to co-present with us on uh, oracle analytics cloud and you know and hopefully give us a uh, uh you know uh, talk to everybody there about uh, about the journey they've been to, been through going from uh, sort of you know bunch of legacy on-premises uh, stuff uh into uh, oracle analytics cloud so uh, yeah we're pretty ex- excited about that Excellent. I and mean, I think having to persuade my wife that I was going to uh, to Disneyland purely for a conference was uh, was a tough one, really. But it should hopefully mean that your customers <laughs> will be quite keen to go there. So, uh, so Matt, it's been excellent speaking to you. Um, thank you very much for doing the uh, the interview. And um, yeah, hopefully see you soon. Another event. Brilliant. Yeah, look forward to seeing you again soon, Mark. And uh, okay. thank you for uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. Mm-hmm.